turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. I'm going to read most of that chapter together. Love this chapter. Uh, I decided that I was going to continue to talk about our sovereign Lord. Um, you know, I was going to kind of shift and do a different series when I got back with there being two weeks in the middle of it, but, but I just can't get away from it. Um, today, and we're going to talk about that a little bit, but a few weeks ago now, we talked about the sovereign power uh, demonstrated by Jesus as he walked this earth, um, how that power was not something that he had to earn, but was something that he'd had from the beginning of creation. Um, we forget about this truth about the sovereignty of our Lord. Uh, it will cause us to be um, concerned, fearful, worried. You know, sometimes when we forget that God's in, in, involved and that He is over that situation, there's a situation in front of our faces that we don't quite know how to handle. It can get pretty consuming, can't it? It really can. Those t- kinds of things that keep you up at night, kinds of things that worry you through the day and you can't focus at work, you know what I'm saying? Uh, it's easy for us to get consumed with things when we forget that God is sovereign. When we forget that He is over it, that He's through it, He was before it, Before it ever happened, he was aware of it, didn't catch him off guard, didn't confuse him, didn't scare him, didn't worry him, and yet we find ourselves worried, scared, and confused. Amen? You ever been there before? Is it just me? But I want to encourage you, I want to encourage myself this morning that God is sovereign. Now we may over the next few weeks, should the Lord allow me to do it, continue to talk about some specific things that God is sovereign in, but today I want to talk about him being sovereign in government. Hey, who wants to talk about politics? How many of you are sick of hearing about politics and the presidential election isn't until a year and a few weeks away? God, save them all. That's what I say. Lord, save them all. Save them all. They need Jesus. The Republicans are afraid of the Democrats. Can I get an amen? And the Democrats are afraid of the Republicans. And every Republican goes, what? What do they got to be afraid of? I got an uncle that's a staunch Democrat, man, big-time Democrat, and, and, and he puts up, listen, I know it's hard for some of us to believe, he puts up some of the same stuff about Republicans that you all put up about, about Democrats. <laughs> Republicans are scared of the Democrats, and Democrats are scared of Republicans, and some of you are like me, I'm scared of all of them. I don't trust one of them. Any further, I can pick them up and throw them. But the reality of it is this, that we have... This problem, listen, if there was ever a time in America that we needed uh, godly leadership, that's today. We need godly leadership. We need leaders. We don't need politicians. You know the difference between a politician and a leader, don't you? A politician will make a decision based on whether or not it makes them look good in front of other people. A leader will make the right decision. Doesn't matter how they look. Sometimes we need leadership, and right now our nation needs leadership. And people are looking at things, and they're a little bit afraid. You know, the campaigns are underway, and the discussion's underway, and everybody's afraid of each other. The young people, the youth, the new generation, you know, they're all about agendas. They're all about social justice. You know, and they'll vote for whatever uh, politician is going to give them the answers that they want on the two or three issues that they think are the most important. Forget everything else. This is really important. It's a cause. It's something I can get involved in. We have other people, uh, the part of the workforce, that, that they'll vote for whoever supports unions. And then the other will vote for whoever doesn't support unions. And people are divided down the middle and they get worried and fearful. The elderly are going to worry about what they're going to do with, with who's going to increase or, or maintain or help them with their social security benefits. I know this much that since I've been senior pastor and I've been going and visiting people in their homes and several shut-ins and, and, and different ones over the years that I have seen them sit in their chair with their hands trembling because of all these over-exaggerated, everybody say exaggerated, exaggerated campaign commercials. I'll never forget the one precious soul that I sit and visited with one day was scared to death that the government was seriously going to come and take everything that she owned and that they were going to shut down all of her social security benefits and she was afraid and trembling, how am I going to eat? Because surely this candidate from the party that I support that just said, this is the plan of the other party, they surely wouldn't have lied to me on national television. 
Pardon me for a moment. You know what? I get sick of manipulation. People, you know, they sit down and they strategize and they figure out numbers and what percentages they can get from this generation, that generation, from this region versus that region. You realize we're not important. We're Indian, Indian, no place, Indiana, right? This area. They, they, they're searching for specific things so they can get the votes they need. They got it down to a science of how they can get in office. And they don't care how many elderly people they scare to death. They don't care how many young people they confuse. Folks, listen, we're in a bad place. Look at me smiling. Why am I smiling? I don't know. I don't know. We need leaders. We need godly leaders. Some people will vote for the party that says we need to cut military spending, while others will vote for the one that says we need to build our military up. Listen, folks, all these issues, they worry folks. There's many, many other issues. We're not going to go into all of them, but I will say this, that there are people that are worried fearful, and concerned about our government. Just a few weeks back, I taught a message about whether or not we should pray, uh, prepare for, for, for the inevitable to happen. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of fear, a lot of things happening. So today I want to address some government. If you look at Isaiah chapter 40, realize that this passage of Scripture was being written to the nation of Israel, specifically the northern kingdom that's being taken into exile and obviously also a message to really the southern kingdom of Judah, letting them know they were headed into uh, exile as well and punishment from God for their sin. But listen to this passage beginning in verse 10. It's a lot of reading, but just hang with me. Isaiah 40, verse 10. See the sovereign Lord comes with power. And His arm rules for Him. See His reward is with Him and His recompense accompanies Him. He tends His flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him in his counselor, as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him and who taught him the right way? Who was it? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. To whom then will you compare God? What image will you compare him to? As for an idol, a craftsman casts it. And a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A man too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. He looks for a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than He blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. That's our God. In the midst of all the fear, in the midst of all the confusion and the worry and the doubt. I love the analogies of God's greatness in this passage, that He is able to measure the waters of the earth in the palm of His hand. And yet, just just picture this. The the earth's waters, His hands are majestic enough to be able to, 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 to minimize, make themselves small enough to hold the ocean. Number one. (laughs) That's powerful. Secondly, they are able to be gentle and soft and small enough to take his child, his lambs, and hold them near to his heart. This God we serve is great, folks. He's not tiny. He's not worthless. He's not fearful. His mind is above instruction. 
I don't care how many people say they know the right from the wrong and they know this about God and that about God and they would like to teach God a thing or two. They can't teach God a thing or two. Nobody has ever taught God a thing or two. Nobody gave him instruction. Nobody gave him counsel. And for man to compare him to something or to try to make an idol, the wealthy will, will lace idols with gold to try to compare it to God. They have to find a craftsman to do it. But yet, you know, even gold is, 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 is that metal which is precious and least tarnished. But folks, it's not eternal. It may symbolize that, but it isn't. And even the poor person that doesn't have the money for the gold and all those things that a craftsman would come and do, he looks for a wood that wouldn't rot, a nice hardwood. A nice wood that doesn't just rot easily. But listen, there is no wood on this planet that won't rot. God is not comparable to a thing. God is above all things, through all things. But I want to focus on today is a few passages in here, scriptures in here, where he talks about government where he talks about his authority over it. Some people say, Pastor, I'm worried about our upcoming election. I'm worried about the issues around the world. Look at Isaiah chapter 40 with me, if you will. Verse 15. Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. I would like to say this to us today, that God is in complete control. I don't care how much things look out of control. He's in control. He is in absolute control. You want to know how, how affected God is by the problems of this world, by the governments of this world? You want to know how fearful God is about our nation's agendas? You want to know how fearful our God is about Israel and, and the Palestinians and ISIS? You want to know how fearful God is? Take a bucket, take a five-gallon bucket, and I want you to mix up the warmest water, whatever's comfortable for you, however it feels to the touch of your hand. And when you get it absolutely perfect, okay? Perfect. Everybody say perfect. When you get it perfect, I want you to take one of those little eyedropper things where, you know, you, the baby's too small to drink, so you take that thing and shove it down their throat and go, eh, when you give them their medicine. I want you to take that and I want you to take it and put it into the most scalding hot water you can find. And then I would like for you to take and just put one drop in that five-gallon bucket and see how much it changes. You won't notice it. Okay, pastor, well, that's hot water. What about if we use cold water? You get ice cold water, you let it set in ice, you keep adding ice until it's the coldest it can possibly be without freezing, and then you take that eyedropper and, and you take one drop and you put it in your perfect bucket of water and you put one drop and see if you can notice a difference. You're not going to notice a change. That's how concerned God is with it. That's how much God has changed by everything that's around him. He can't be changed. The problems of this world, this is how he compares it. You ready? He says, it's like dust on a scale. You know those scales, they sit like this. Anybody ever had to use a, a, a little scale to weigh something before? Have you ever got it out without dusting it off and turning it on? You know how much that dust affects it? It has no weight to it. He says, listen, the things of this world and the nations of this world are as much of a problem to me as dust on a scale. They're as much of a problem to me as one drop of water on, on a tabletop. How hard is that to deal with? If this was covered with dust and there was dust on it, and, and I saw dust up here on this, this communion table, which I'm thankful I don't. Claudia does a good job. But if there was dust up here, how difficult? Would I walk around and say, oh no, this dust, this is awful. There's dust everywhere. What am I going to do? God goes, do you see how easy that is? He's that big. At any time, at any time, he can move in any one of these circumstances, in any one of these situations that he wants to. God can manipulate any government to do anything that he wants to do. You don't believe me? Let's talk about Joseph for a minute. Let's talk about Joseph. Little shepherd boy on the back side of the desert somewhere with his father and his 11 brothers. And God gives him a dream and he says, hey Joseph, look at this. And Joseph sees while they're out cutting wheat in the field and, and his sheave stands up and, and the 11 of his brothers all bow before him. And he's like, I don't understand this. this, is exciting. But he goes to him and tells him and they get mad. And then he goes to his father and he says, hey, I had another dream. And this time the sun, the moon and 11 stars all submitted to me. And God says, and his dad, and look at him, Jacob looks at him and says, what are you doing? Don't talk. 
talk about that. Bible matters is just looked at you say, wow, you know, Joseph's a pretty cool dude. Some good things are in store for Joseph, right? Joseph and his jealousy. Listen, hey, do you know that all families have issues? Anybody else have a family? Raise your hand. Put your hands down. How many have you have issues in your family? Raise your hand. That's what I'm talking about. Every family's got issues. Jacob's family had issues. And God knew that Jacob's family had sinful issues. Amen? He knew it. He let it play out. He let the brothers sell him into slavery to Egypt, in a caravan to Egypt, and then lied to his father and said, he's dead. See his coat of many colors? It's got blood on it. And he's like, oh no, my son's dead. Well, where does son go? He ends up being sold into slavery. He ends up at Potiphar's house. Potiphar's got a wife that is not faithful. Yet Joseph was a faithful man of God and refused to be with this woman. And yet this woman takes his coat as Joseph runs out and makes false accusations about him. He gets thrown into prison for a period of years as an innocent man. Here he is, a foreigner, number one, a slave, number two, a convicted sexual offender, number three, thrown into a prison and there for years and forgotten about, even by the people that he helped that got out, they forgot about him. So he was a forgotten slave, a forgotten sex offender, a forgotten... You go down the list, and it wasn't looking good for Joseph, but in one day, everybody say one. One day, God exalted him from a prison to be the second in command in Egypt. One day. You know what that is? That's this. That, that's just... That's a drop. It's nothing to God. For us, we can't grasp it. We look at that and say, how could that happen? That's impossible. You're right. Except for God. You see, God can do anything He wants to do to any government that He wants to deal with. Think of Moses. You want to know what Moses was? Moses was an abortion gone wrong. Or right, depending on what side of the fence you're on. Moses was put into a basket and thrown out on the river. Some people say, Pastor, that's the wrong interpretation. You are misusing Scripture if you're to say that Moses was an abortion that didn't work out. Listen, what is going to happen if nobody grabs him out of the river? I'm sorry, a baby in a basket has only got hope for a little bit of time unless somebody grabs it out of the river. He grabs the baby, the, the, the princess, she grabs the baby out. She takes him into the Pharaoh's house. Listen, listen to our God. The Hebrews, he was a slave child. He should have been aborted. He was brought in. He was taken care of. He was nursed by his mother. In the same house from the same man that gave the decree that he should be dead. And he was raised up. And then he decided when he saw, listen to this, he was raised up. They knew he was a Hebrew from the time he was a baby. They knew it. He, he heard all the comments, the suggestions. And then one day he goes out and he sees an Egyptian beating one of his brothers. And he kills the Egyptian. Now he's not only a slave that should have been aborted. Now he's not only ridiculed for his genealogy and his heritage. But now he's a murderer. And now he's running for his life. And then he's on the backside of the desert where God takes him through all this stuff just so he can hear. Just so he can finally hear from God and see God. And he receives the message and God says, I want you to go look at Pharaoh in the eye. I want you to stand in front of him and I want you to tell him to let my people go. Stop for a second. He is a wanted man. <laughs> you want me to do what? <laughs> Pharaoh? No wonder he stuttered. I mean, remember Moses said, you want me to speak to him? I'm a man of stuttering lips, stammering lips. Well, yeah, I would say, what what, what do you want me to do? And yet here he was, raised up by God, sent in again to the throne room of Pharaoh and challenging him 
saying, let my people go. These people were in bondage for 400 years. 400 years. People say, well, gee, pastor, why were they in bondage for 400 years? Well, that's a whole other sermon. I think they stayed a little too long. You know that place where you go and it's a blessing at first, but then you stay too long and it becomes bondage? They were in bondage for 400 years. And God set them free. God destroyed and wiped out the army of a superpower in one day. They ruled the world at the time, folks. And God destroyed them with miraculous signs and wonders. And then they followed him into, followed Moses into the Red Sea. <laughs> Where God took care of that situation. Listen to what the scripture says about that in Exodus 15, 8. It says, By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up, the surging waters stood firm like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. You know what that's saying? That's saying that God did this to separate the waters. You want to know how difficult it was for God to separate the Red Sea? Listen, man. We've got to grasp how big and awesome our God is. We've got to quit limiting God. There is no government on the face of this earth that God is not over and above and He can't work through and change and move anytime He wants to. One more. Think of Esther. Esther, the little girl that was raised up, she again, a foreigner in a foreign nation in the land of Persia, and there she was in a situation where God knew that there was an evil man by the name of Haman who was misusing the government for himself and his agenda. Have we ever seen anybody do that before? They found the government. He said, hey, here's an opportunity for me to manipulate my way to the top when really my only motive is to kill the Jews. That's all I want to do. I want to kill the Jews. I want to kill the Hebrews. I want to destroy them. He had a problem. He was angry about what happened to his family who was disobedient and rebelled against God and they were wiped out, but they weren't wiped out completely. And so he was a descendant of them, of Agag. And he says, hey, I'm going to destroy. Worked his way up. But listen to how cool God is. As he's working his way up, Mordecai catches on. Uh, God allows uh, Queen Vashti to be summoned by a drunk king. And she says, I'm not going to go and flaunt myself before him. She's removed. He says, you need, to, you, you need to find his advisors. Tell him you need to find a queen here in the city and have them come. And lo and behold, out of everybody in the whole nation of Persia, they pick this lowly little Jewish lady. Beautiful. Hadessa. Named Esther. Beautiful lady. And she's brought in and she's made queen. Folks, those kinds of things don't just happen. But when Mordecai, her uncle, comes up to her and he says, Hey, look, this has been signed by the king. He's decreed it that all the Jews must die and that I myself am going to be killed by this Haman. He looks at her and says, Don't you think that this isn't going to affect you here in the palace too, because it will. Who knows? God may have put you here for such a time as this. Listen to me. There are people that are being moved around at this time by God in places for such a time as this. Don't you dare give up hope because one little queen, one Esther, came and stood before a king and he should have sentenced her to death at that moment the way that she approached him. But by the grace of God, he said, come, and she was able to reveal the plan of evil hands. And what happened was, is Haman was hung on the very gallows that he had set up for Mordecai. You ever hear the statement, give them enough rope and they'll hang themselves? I will say this now, I'll say it publicly, it's going on the internet, I don't care if anybody listens to it, whatever. If they listen to it, I will say this prophetically and publicly, that any government leader that will set himself or herself up against the people of God and pursue them, they are giving themselves enough rope to hang themselves. God will not allow it. It may happen, it may happen for a time. A lot of souls may go into eternity and find themselves, as we see in the book of Revelation, around the altar of God saying, when will you avenge our blood? It will happen. We know that that will happen. Martyrdom's going to happen. But I'm telling you, our God will deliver. Amen. 
I know I'm not Jamie Montero, but this is good. (laughs) If this is our God, we need not to be afraid or concerned. There's no promise or guarantee that we will never be void of issues, but uh, but I can have confidence that God sees the faithful, that He sees that His eyes are on me, that His eyes are on you, and that He will bring His plan forth. As it pertains to wicked leadership, consider this. Isaiah 40, look, look down at verses 23 and 24. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than He blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. Why is that? Why doesn't God just raise up a great leader uh, to make sure there's peace and and safety for all of us. Why doesn't God just do that? You know, that's what everybody wants. We here in America for over 230 years have enjoyed that. We've enjoyed safety and peace. I know we've had world wars that we've gone through and different things, but for the most part, it's been, well, there's been the Civil War. You know what? It's not been that peaceful, has it? The last 50 have been pretty good. Wait, Vietnam? Wait, what? What? You know what? We just need a leader that's going to raise up and, and have peace. Why won't God just do that? Well, you want to know why? Because that's not man's job. That's God's job. And if there was a man to be raised up and have peace all the time with nothing but peace, uh, be careful because <laughs> he's the Antichrist. <laughs> and it's only going to be peace for a little bit and then he's going to turn on you. Listen to what Isaiah 9 says about Jesus. Verses 6 and 7, it says, For to, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government, everybody say government. doesn't say governments plural, doesn't talk about multiple governments. It says one government. The government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign in David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. What we need to understand and realize is that we have to know that there is coming a time where Jesus himself is going to set on David's throne. He is going to be in Jerusalem. He is going to rule from Jerusalem. I don't care who you are, what you think, whatever. That's where Jesus Christ during the millennial reign is going to be. He will be there on the earth. But right now, the governments are not out of his control. He'll establish peace, yes, but listen, when God is sovereign, there is not anything that's out of His control. He can do anything He wants, anytime He wants. Remember the conversation between Jesus and Pilate before He goes to the cross and Pilate confronts Him and He says, hey, why don't you answer me? Don't you know that I have the power to either set you free or crucify you? And Jesus said, you would have no power over me if it wasn't given to you by my Father in heaven. (laughs) You know what that is? That's words of authority and power that says, I am so much bigger than you, Pilate. You have no idea. You are a wicked man. You are a wicked, evil man that's controlled and manipulated by the Roman government. And I, too, have set you up for this position because somebody's got to sentence my death. I've allowed you here for this time, Pilate. I've allowed you here to wash your hands. In other words, you have authority to do what you do just because God set you up and raised you up. Remember, we talked about this a while back. God establishes all the authorities that are here on this earth. He establishes both those that are hidden and those that are seen. God set Pilate up to where he was at. Yes, I know people say, but Pilate did so many awful things. You and I, if we were there that day, if we were the apostles, we would have thought what was happening in front of us was the most horrific thing that could ever be done on the face of the earth. And today we sing songs about it. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. We sing about that. But at the time it was happening, they're going, that just killed my Savior. He's in the ground. Mary running, saying, what have you done with my Lord? Where's His body? the time they were distraught, they didn't understand, but today we see it, don't we? Is it possible, let me ask you this, is it possible that God in His all-knowing knowledge and wisdom, I'm going to challenge you here, I'm going to stretch you a little bit, is it possible that He can allow bad things to happen 
so that good will come forth. It's really hard for us to swallow. Here in America, in our Western culture, what I just said was a death sentence to a church. Well, to say that God allows bad things to happen, God does not allow bad. Listen, if God doesn't allow bad things to happen, who's doing it? And whose power are they doing it by if God can't stop it? Either he's sovereign or he isn't. But pastor, why, 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 why? Listen, Deuteronomy 29, 29, the hidden things, the unseen things, we obey what we know, okay? We obey what God has given us in the law to obey. The rest of it, the unseen things, that's completely up to him. We can't answer all those questions. Sometimes I wish I could, but I just absolutely cannot answer all those questions. My point in saying all this is this, okay, you ready? Stop worrying about it. Quit worrying about the government, man. Shut off Fox News. Shut off CNN. Shut off Facebook. I'm not telling you to not be informed. Make sure you're informed. It's our responsibility to be informed, and it's our responsibility to vote according to God's principles. Amen? It is. We have that right. We're called to do that. And if you call yourself a believer and you're not voting and all you want to do is say this whole nation is going to hell in a handbasket, then shame on you. Vote. That's the word that God's given. That's what He's got for us, the opportunity. That is our influence. Make sure that you know what's going on. But don't be consumed by it. You're involved in it, but it doesn't depend upon you. You're involved in it, but it doesn't depend upon you. Vote. Be informed. But don't be controlled. Don't be overrun with fear. Don't be sad. Don't be afraid. Jesus Christ is still on the throne. He's above all of it. He's through all of it. And yes, if you see a wicked man or woman working their way up the top, you can say, oh, Lord, help us. What am I supposed to do? You pray for him. You pray for her. You believe God to move. And when you get the opportunity to vote, you vote. Amen? Amen. Don't be stressed about it. as we start a year-long campaign for the presidency. I am so far off of my notes. If we humble ourselves, we pray, seek His face, turn from our wicked ways, He's going to hear from heaven. Amen? And then He's going to heal our land. We are to pray for them. So, I'm about done. So, Pastor, do you think God's going to judge America? If He's sovereign, do you think He's going to judge America? Well, tune in next week, folks. For a, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just a little cliffhanger. Isaiah 40, verse 17. Look at it. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. What this is saying is, is that a government in comparison to God is nothing. Okay? I don't want to twist this way out of context by any means. A lot of people back in the day would worship their leaders. They would take on names of gods and people would worship them, make themselves gods. They're nothing. A nation is nothing. A superpower, we, we had our, our, our title as superpower for a lot of years. You know what we are in God's sight? We're nothing. There's not anything we can do. And people say, well, what, is, what are you talking about, Pastor? Listen, God doesn't just have his favorites that can do whatever they want anytime they want. What? I thought the United States of America was God's favorite. Pastor, I come here, I find out God does bad stuff to people, and now we're not his favorite. (laughs) What? What? Listen, you want to know what God thinks about our Constitution? It doesn't change him. Our Bill of Rights doesn't change him, even though these are good documents and and they're good for law and everything else. They were established on God. God's not established on them. Come on. Amen? Amen. Even though our, our system of freedom and our democracy, we are proud of that. We like what we have here. It may be a little bit misconstrued in places and some things are off right now, but the reality of it is is that we live in a great nation. But in God's sight, it's not like we're the most favorite ones in the whole world. 
We have said for years we need to support and bless Israel. We need to pray for Israel. We need to send money to Israel. We need to send weapons to Israel. We need to protect Israel. And listen, as a Christian, I believe that. I agree with that. But I'm also telling us as a nation, there's a lot of, lot of frustration because our president or other people maybe have withdrawn themselves from Israel. and Like, oh no, now God's going to judge us. Listen to me. We're off if we say that. The reality is this. You can't buy God's blessing. As long as we remain in sin, as long as we pursue ourselves and our selfish flesh and our selfish desires, as long as our government continues to support things that God has called an abomination and to exalt those things and lift those things up and to pursue and knock down believers and people that want to live in holiness and honesty and obeying God's Scripture, as long as that happens, you can send Israel all of our money, you can send them all of our weapons, and you're not going to stop the judgment that's going to come. He's on fire today, isn't he? (laughs) We're not the favorite. God's not a respecter of nations over nations. We can't purchase God's blessing. We can't just give and then think I can do whatever I want. We're not the spoiled kids of God's kingdom. He will discipline us because he loves us. Any nation that has ever existed is capable of incurring judgment from God. Many have. I've mentioned before about, the God, uh, about God speaking to Abraham about the sins of the Amorites and, and they hadn't reached their full and that's why Israel partially was going to stay in bondage for that 400 years is so that Amorite, the Amorites could have exceeded all of God's mercy so that when Israel would come in and wipe them out, they wouldn't be guilty in God's sight. We see that. We see also in Leviticus 18 that the, the, one of the reasons why the children of Israel were going to be able to go into the promised land and wipe out those people that were there is because of their sexual immorality. It's the Word of God. Leviticus 18. Even in the Scripture, (laughs) God did supernatural things to Sodom and Gomorrah. Y'all remember how He did supernatural uh, supernatural judgment upon the Philistines for stealing the Ark of the Covenant? You guys remember that one? Different versions say different things, but one version says hemorrhoids. It gave him hemorrhoids. Some say tumors, some say hemorrhoids. I don't know, but I like the hemorrhoid version because that's just funny. All I know is that by the time it was over with, they're saying, take the ark back! And they made, they made like little golden hemorrhoids and set them on the cart as an offering to go back. It's like, listen, God's over all of it. He don't pick and choose favorites. People say, but, but Pastor Bob, I thought Israel was God's chosen people. I thought that's, that's, yes, they are. But you have to also realize and recognize the history of Israel and how many times they were sent into bondage, slavery, and they were also sent into exile into Babylon. Why? Because between Isaiah and Jeremiah, he uses words like they were stiff-necked. Another thing said that they, um, they were stiff-necked. They were, uh, I can't even remember my notes now. Isn't that awful? Second time through today and I can't even remember where I'm at. They committed more sin than their forefathers. They committed more. You know what another one was? Is because they would not receive discipline. Here's the thing about God. He, offer, he, he gives discipline before He ever brings judgment. He disciplines before He judges. Okay? Gives opportunity for repentance. And Israel had refused to repent. He disciplined, 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 disciplined. They wouldn't receive it. You know what that means when it says they won't receive discipline? It doesn't mean like when you're a little kid and dad comes in with the belt that you take it without crying. Some people said, belt, that's abuse nowadays. How many ever got it with the belt? Raise your hand. That's what I thought. You all turned out fine. Put your hands down. I'm not saying beat your kids with the belt. I'm just saying it happened. All right? It happened, okay? Receiving discipline doesn't mean you go whack and the kid goes. Hmm. 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 You know that noise you make kind of like when you fall on the bicycle seat funny? You know. <laughs> that doesn't necessarily mean you're receiving discipline well just because you didn't cry. When he says you didn't receive discipline, it means they didn't repent. God gave opportunity after opportunity for them to repent before they ever went into exile, folks. And they're his chosen people. They're the favorites, okay? (laughs) Listen, why would you and I think we're any different? 
As long as our nation continues down a path of rebellion and rejecting and turning away from Christ, uh, yes, you can expect judgment to come. We have discipline after discipline after discipline. We have constant uh, economic uh, decline or constant this or that. Oh, we had another attack. Oh, no, we got this going on. Listen, folks, we're getting discipline after discipline. Uh, Judgment will come eventually if we don't repent and turn from our wicked ways. (laughs) They're saying, why is he still smiling? Because I'm going to read this to you. Ready? Jeremiah 30, follow with me on the screen if you will, verses 10 and 11. So do not fear, O Jacob, my servant. Do not be dismayed, O Israel, declares the Lord. I will surely save you out of a distant place. Your descendants from the land of their exile. Jacob will again have peace and security and no one will make him afraid. I am with you and will save you, declares the Lord. Though I completely destroy all the nations among which I scatter you, I will not completely destroy you. I will discipline you, but only with justice. I will not let you go entirely unpunished. These are the words of God to Judah before they go into exile. And he's saying, listen, I'm going to destroy the people around you, but I'm not going to destroy you. Hear me, people of God, children of God. There may be calamity coming all around us someday. And there may be people being destroyed by their sin and their actions and the things around them. But there's a word from God. Some people say, well, that word was to Israel, not to us. Listen, either it's the word of God or it isn't the word of God. Either he loves us or he doesn't love us. Either he's going to protect us in life or he's going to deliver us in death. Amen? And we're going to come to be with him. Regardless, there is hope for us. Judgment or no judgment. There ain't nothing to be afraid of. Your God is still on the throne. Look all through the book of Revelation. You see where even people that are left behind there in the tribulation period give their lives to Christ, surrender themselves, refuse the mark of the beast. And the scripture says that an angel comes and puts a seal on their head. He seals them with the Holy Spirit so that the plagues have nothing to do with them. Even when there is literally going to be hell on earth, People who missed the rapture, people who were here during the tribulation period are going to be stuck. They're going to repent and turn away from their sin. And all the stuff that's happening on this earth aren't going to affect them. Doesn't mean they're going to sit at home with their TV with a remote in their hand. Just means that the demonic buzzer things that are flying around stinging people for 30 days torturing them isn't going to torture them. Doesn't say they're not going to see them. (laughs) Doesn't say they're not going to experience some bad stuff. Just says there's a protection. How much more for us in this day and age? If God, His children, He loves us, His Spirit is in us, can He preserve you, child of God? Yes, He can. I'm going to read on. Let's skip down to verse 16 of that same passage. But all who devour you will be devoured. All your enemies will go into exile. Those who plunder you will be plundered. All who make spoil of you, I will despoil. But I will restore you to health and heal your wounds, declares the Lord, because you are called uh, an outcast, Zion, for whom no one cares. This is what the Lord says. I will restore the fortunes of Jacob's tents and have compassion on his dwellings. The city will be rebuilt on her ruins and the palace will stand in its proper place. From them will come songs of thanksgiving and the sound of rejoicing. I will add to their numbers and they will not be decreased. I will bring them honor and they will not be disdained. Their children will be as in days of old and their community will be established before me. I will punish all who oppress them. Their leader will be one of their own. Their ruler will arise from among them. Jesus Christ is who he's talking about here. I will bring him near and he will come close to me. For who is he who will devote himself to be close to me, declares the Lord. So you will be my people and I will be your God. Listen to me. This is like that moment after the discipline of a child where the parents bring them close and after they've repented and hold them tight and discuss things and pray with them and have peace and restore relationship. That's what God's talking about right here. That's what's taking place. But, but, but as I close right now, think about what's happening. They're going to be coming back from exile, from Babylon. They, this is before they go. He's telling them this and saying, look, you're going to come back. You're going to come back. And I will reestablish you. You want to hear the cool thing about them being reestablished? They come back and they are reestablished because a wicked king, a godless king, by the name of Cyrus, signs a decree. Signs a decree and says, the Jews are going back to build their city They're going back to build the walls. They're going back to build the the tabernacle. Not the tabernacle, the temple. Wrong T word. Going back to build the temple and I'm going to pay for it. 
Remember uh, different strokes? What you talking about, Willis? What you talking about, Cyrus? You're going to send me back to my homeland. We were conquered. We were brought here as slaves, kind of. You took our, our strong men and made them your eunuchs to serve. And now you're going to send us back. And now you're going to give us money to do it. To build the wall and our temple. Okay. You know what that is to God? That's this. That's how difficult it was. The 70 years had passed. It was time. Nobody had to fret. Nobody had to worry. Nobody had to be fearful. God just said, it's time. And even those along the way that tried to hinder it, Cyrus said, oh no, it was a decree. It was a decree from Cyrus. You will not hinder their work. Wow. As Alyssa comes and I close this morning, I want to read the last part of Isaiah chapter 40. My point in all this, folks, is this. You don't need to worry. Amen? You don't need to worry. I'm not telling you to be irresponsible. I'm telling you not to be fearful. Be responsible, but don't be fearful. Be responsible, but don't be controlled. Your hope is not in you, your money, your finances, your strength. It's in God. Your hope is not in the government. It's not in the strength of the dollar. It's not in the strength of anything else, but our sovereign Lord. That's it. We don't need to be fearful. Isaiah 40, verse 25 through 31. Listen to what he says. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Regardless of what it is that concerns you or you're fearful about as it relates to government or world politics, remind yourself that even should everything fall apart, He will strengthen you. He will strengthen you. And whatever it is that comes through, it's not going to be something that makes you weary. It doesn't have to be anything that makes you weary. Not promising us a bed of roses. He's not promising us a life that's simple and sweet and wonderful. But He is promising what we need when we need it. He will restore us. He will restore us. I don't know if you know this or not, but God is good, folks. If He can know the names of the stars, if He can, if He loves masses of elements so much, that he's named every single one of them. If he has named every single ball of gas that's burning in the universe, if he has named every single shape of, of, of elements that are drawn together by his power that are lifeless, there's no life on them, no life in them, if he loved them that much to name them and to say there's not one that isn't named or not one that I haven't seen. Folks, we can't number them. We can't see them all. And we today on this earth, 
If we were to number how many people that are on this earth today, we could come pretty close and we could number even those that have ever lived on this earth or born on this earth, we could come pretty close. And I can tell you this, if we can come that close, God sees every single one of you. He knows your name. Scripture says he knows how many hairs of, I almost said how many heads you have on your hair. That'd be awful. How many hairs you have on your head? He loves some of us more than others. Listen, he, nothing that you go through is, is void of his knowledge. If he loves planets that we have never seen, enough to name them, how much more does he love his creation that he fashioned after himself, that's eternal, that's living, that's alive? Look at me. He sees you. And his word to you today is, you don't have to be afraid. Put your hope in him. Put your trust in him. This is going to be basically the same message for the next several weeks on all different things until we get it. You don't have to be afraid. Put your trust in him. Put your faith in him. Believe on him for salvation. Repent from your sin. Some of us have lands that need healed. Some of us have made such messes of our lives. It's going to take time. We've got to pray and believe him to heal that land. He'll begin that work in our lives. Pastor, what am I supposed to do with a godless leader? You submit to them. Because it's God that raises them up. And it's God that will take them down. You do the responsible thing and then let God take care of the rest. Amen? I know that's hard. That's a whole other sermon. I don't have time to preach it. Bow your heads with me, if you will. Father, we thank you for this day.